0: Oh, God. It's nice of you to say that I'm on my way to heaven because of that. I mean, I think you could interpret it the other way as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, playing playing Jesus, I haven't been asked to read the Bible, thankfully, because I don't really know any of it and I don't really like it. If I'm being very honest, a lot of what drives my comedy is vanity. You know, it's like I want, I want people to think that I'm funny. You know, if we come to you and we make fun of you, if you're from India or if you're from you know, wherever you're from, and then there's some joke about people from India or people from Canada or people, you know, who are Jewish or whatever. You just have to understand that we're making those jokes about everybody. And that includes white people. Because if you think about it, the Griffins, I mean, Peter's the dumbest guy on the show by far. We're not punching down, we're punching all over.
1: I'm so excited for today's episode because we have the head writer of the family guy, or in short, the person who puts words inside my mouth. Yes, we have with us. Alec shall shall shall. shall, shall, shall wait, I'll get this right. We have Alec shall, shall, Shall Shall ch- seriously, this Indian accent, it's not helping at all. Basically, we have Alec Vidarshan before leaving. I just want to say, on behalf of the whole Griffin family, that we love you more than you love Tom Brady. And I'm going to leave you with the Shindian loser to answer his questions. And see, that was a little bit of Peter Griffin right there. <laughs> no, just been practicing for two days.
0: <laughs> wow, that was, I'm pretty impressed.
1: Thank you. You know, I'm not being offensive, but if Seth MacFarlane hears this Peter Griffin impression, he would wish he boarded a 9-11 flight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, I think, I think he would be scared that maybe you were going to take his job.
1: <laughs> well, I do have a plan in mind, <laughs> but I have so much you know respect for you guys for creating such amazing comedy series. And I was just watching these videos; it was so scary to hear that he you know Seth MacFarlane missed the 9/11 flight by 10 minutes. And I was watching this interview where all the writers were on the stage, and they said now we remember him as a person. We met pre-9/11 and post-9/11. <laughs>
0: I know. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. crazy. It was crazy that that happened. And he doesn't seem to, um, it doesn't have the effect on him that I think it would have on me or maybe you. If you had missed that flight, I feel like every day I'd be like, oh my God, thank God. I don't think, it's funny. I remember bringing it up one time with him. And I brought it up a few times, but once, one time I brought it up with him. And it was like, he, I reminded him that it happened. He was like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that be the biggest event of my life.
1: Yeah, that's what I you know, like about comedians. They have such a thick skin. And even I've been watching Family Guy series. Whenever I have lunch, I just switch on an episode. And the comedy is so great and so edgy. And it just uh, catches my attention. You know, I'm telling you this truthfully. Since the time I started watching Family Guy, I think Simpsons is boring.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, Simpsons, the Simpsons has a slower pace. Um, and, you know, it, it <clears throat> obviously it came before us and I loved it, you know, watching for when I was growing up. Um, and I think it's still a very funny show. Just the pace of our show is, it's hard for any other show to sustain that pace. Yeah,
1: I mean, to be honest, I personally do not, understand that what do they mean by showing those yellow you know whatever you call their species it's like those guys are jaundice or something
0: right yeah, yeah their, livers are, their livers are dying
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know i was reading about your work in the family guy your book both in the writing and those who do not know out there he also is a voice behind jesus i mean you're on your way to go to heaven does your church ever
0: call you to read the Bible or something? Oh, God. It's nice of you to say that I'm on my way to heaven because of that. I mean, I think you could interpret it the other way as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, playing, playing Jesus, I haven't been asked to read the Bible, thankfully, because I don't really know any of it and I don't really like it. But uh, I, I am honored that Seth picked me to do the part. And I obviously, as you can hear, I don't have to change my voice at all. So that's
1: yeah. yeah, I've even watched some of those episodes and you know, I'm so marveled up to find these new episodes which I see on YouTube and I sometimes think what would it be like to be in that writer's room? I mean, it must be a feast for you writers to come up with such jokes.
0: Yeah, it's so fun. I mean, our writer's room is very big. We have a lot of writers, uh, about 20. Um and so yeah, that room is always very funny. Everybody's just trying to make the other people in the room laugh. And if you can do that, we know we're on our way to making our, our fans laugh because we feel like we have the same you know, maturity level as most of our fans.
1: That's right. And I also read in somewhere on internet that you shared the family guy room was mean in a great way. You could never wear a new hat or a new pair of glasses or you'd get savage. I've seen a couple of behind the scenes, like the Adam West visiting the office. And I want to know, is it still that brutal that when you step in, people start making fun of each other?
0: Well, it's, I will say it's, gotten nicer uh because we've just been on for so long and now we've been working with the same people for you know 15 20 years in some cases um it still can be brutal like i still wouldn't recommend anyone trying to wear a fun hat in the room (laughs) or getting like a getting a risky haircut always going to be tough um but yeah it's gotten generally a little bit nicer
1: no, that's what I like about comedy. I do believe, you know, when I watch Family Guy, it reminds me of the 80s, the Don Rickles, Robin Williams type humor. And now it seems as if our society has become too sensitive because those people also joke about things which might be considered offensive if we see now, but they all came from a place of love, to be honest. And this is something which has disappeared. Yes.
0: And I, I, I agree with that. And, um, I think it, at Family Guy, we're still uh, we're fortunate in the sense that I think because the show's been on for so long and it's kind of been uh, edgy for a long time that we still feel like we're okay to do jokes that make fun of of different people, whether it's you know different ethnicities, different nationalities, different genders, you know, whatever it is. I think we still feel like we can go for that, but I definitely do know that you know, especially now we're aware of what's going on in society. And so you never want to be the cause or certainly, you know, the cause of any major angst for, for any marginalized group. So I would hope that anyone watching this or people watching the show understand that, you know, if we come to you and we make fun of you, if you're from India or if you're from you know wherever you're from, and then there's some joke about people from India or people from Canada or people you know who are Jewish or whatever. You just have to understand that we're making those jokes about everybody, and that includes white people because if you think about it, the Griffins. I mean, Peter's the dumbest guy on the show by far. You know, we make fun at his expense. You know, ten times an episode. So I I, I hope that people still feel that way that we're yes, we're making fun of a lot of people and a lot of people who are kind of marginalized minorities, but we also are making fun of Christians and, you know, white people and, you know, people who are allegedly in power. And it's just not, it's not exclusive to any kind of, we're not punching down, we're punching all over.
1: Right. And that's what I like. I personally, myself enjoy writing that sort of humor, which doesn't get too offensive or not as too childish as well in the middle. And even in our school plays, you know, I remember this performance, which I did. It was regarding that how increase in technology has led to, you know, uh, kids ignoring their grandparents. And I was playing the grandparent. know, uh, at that time, I had that huge beard. And it's finally great to see that I'm talking to a guest who has that same amazing beard real man look because to be honest the last four guests they are they have no beard at all it's like no facial hair. like this the real manhood god and i personally yeah, yeah. you know out of shame had to shave my beard a couple days ago but it will grow back yeah i
0: yeah, know i love it you you're the same as me i i always say like oh i just shaved and i still have a beard but i just yeah. shaved it down so it'll come back <laughs>
1: Is your beard sometimes the main subject for humor sometimes in the writer's
0: room? Sometimes it depends. If it if it gets too long and bushy, it, it definitely gets mentioned. But we have a lot of writers in that room that have beards. You'd be happy to know. You'd approve. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's great. And you know, I remember this performance which I did on stage. And I would just uh, come out with this stuff. I was playing the grandparent, and I had to put this powder on my head, and I was writing all these lines down. And the seniors who were in charge of the play, they were saying, "I can't even believe that a two-year younger person is writing this stuff." And that teacher was like, "Can we just remove this line from the script, this and this?" I mean, teachers hate me. They don't want me on stage. It's just that the audience enjoys it so much. The principal even enjoys it so much that I keep coming on again and again. And it's much like Family Guy. The critics or the people at the top might have problems with it, but the audience loves it so much that you just can't take it away.
0: I was the same way in in high school. I remember um, another, actually one of the writers on Family Guy and I went to high school together. His name is John Viner.
1: Yeah, I've heard of him.
0: Yeah, he does a lot of voices for the show, too, and we went to high school together, and we used to do announcements, you know, for the for the school assembly, and it was the same thing, you know, certain people were offended, but, you know, the, everyone was laughing, and, and there became a whole thing that we had to run it by people before we did it, and yeah, I remember that.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's what I find really exciting. I'm even looking at your Instagram post and that Father's Day, you no, know, which you did, wishing with your daughter. I mean, I'm, a, I'm afraid that you'll do something like that right at this moment with that phone. And I wonder, <laughs> what was your childhood? Were you this funny since childhood?
0: Well, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I enjoyed comedy since childhood. And both my parents are are funny in different ways. Uh, You know, my dad is kind of like uh, Larry David type, like very Mm -hmm. negative, um, but very funny. And my mom is much uh, sillier, you know? So my mom and I would watch like Bugs Bunny and Mm -hmm. different old comedy movies and things like that together. And so I feel like between the two of them, I just really appreciated comedy, all different kinds of comedy, from uh, from a young age.
1: Yeah, when was the moment when you thought that this is something I can build a career in?
0: I tell you, it was probably—I mean, it was in college because when I was a, a senior in in college, I was able to get an internship at Saturday Night Live, and wow. so. Yeah, my college was in, uh, it's my college was only about two hours from New York. So I used to take the train down on Wednesday nights. Then I'd work at Saturday Night Live on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and go back to college. Um, And it was great. And I knew being there that that's what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to be there in some way. And I think I knew that I wanted to be a writer there. Um, And so once that, once I was there and inside the show and kind of meeting the different people and getting to kind of hang out with them and, and work with them to the extent that I worked, um, yeah, I knew that that's what I wanted to, to be involved with.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I truly loved the grind, which was involved in the whole, um, which you put in, in the early stages And uh, I love the cutaway scenes and I believe it must demand a lot of brainstorming also because right after that, you just have to begin with a totally different scene or a story. Has it ever happened in the writer's room, even though you're a talented bunch of people and have amazing personalities that no one can think of the next idea and everyone is staring at each other, you know, clueless? Has it ever happened?
0: Well, thank God, no, not yet. Um, but what, what does, what can happen in those situations? Because what you're, what you're talking about can happen a lot where, um, it's difficult to get, I remember there was an episode, like I want to say in like season, you know, five or six or something where we had the show start, I think it started at the, uh, aquarium, like the family was at an aquarium looking at, you know, fish and, you know, different stuff like that. So we needed to have like three jokes in the aquarium, you know, three different little scenes, like one they're looking at sharks or they're looking at whales or penguins or whatever. And for just, for some reason we could not get it. And so what we do in the room is, since we have so many people, we'll send, you know, five or six out at a time uh, to go and work on a specific area like the aquarium. So with the aquarium, what kept happening was a room of five or six people would come back. they would pitch us the jokes that they had written, and just we just could not get it. like it just was not working at all. Like every time we would send out a room they 'd come back they 'd pitch them to us, and it wouldn 't be good. That happened like probably for about three or four days in a row, which is a oh. long time, and so that became. Now that's shorthand for a lot of us in the room when we say aquarium gags, that means like, oh boy, this is a tough area. So it happens that it sometimes can take a long time, but we we always get there. Whether we get there with something hilarious or not, that I can't guarantee.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's so exciting to hear about all the behind the scenes. And I do wonder, you know, I've been uh, watching some of the people so talented, like you, Danny Smith, and all these people. Has it ever happened that they joke about a particular person in the staff for long, and that person gets offended and leaves the room? <laughs> Something
0: kind of. I don't know that people really leave the room, but there are definitely different jokes that we have about different writers who have been there for a long time. Like Danny is a perfect example. I love Danny, and he's one of the best writers the show's ever had. So funny. But he is like a frustrated performer. Like he wants to be an actor. And now okay. he's, old, he's older, you know, he's in his uh, 50s. Um, so he's clearly not going to be a performer anymore. But that comes out of him. He has that actor's sort of like neediness to, uh, and, and that's what the other writers can smell right away. Like if, if someone seems needy or like they're trying too hard, <laughs> that gets attacked. We have another writer named uh, Tom. Tom Devani. Maybe you've seen his name on there, um, and he's a g- hilarious guy. Great, uh, white-haired guy. Just a, a really cool, funny guy. And he's the guy. Anyone who wears, you know, a new hat, has a new haircut, comes in a little late, comes in with too much food, you know, whatever <laughs> it is, he's always there to make a comment. Like he's always there to like. Throw in a, a biting joke, he, he's great at it. So, we, we definitely have a lot of that in the writers' room where we know each other so well now that right away you can just attack somebody's little party, their known weak spot.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're talking about these experiences, and the more I'm feeling attracted to these kinds of places, because it's so fun to be. And I was watching this Bill Mayer interview where all the writers were on the stage. And this young teenage boy, a little healthier, you know, like Chris. And he just stepped up and asked a question. And he asked, the, began with the worst line possible, like, how are you guys doing? He asked the whole writing stuff. And they all started laughing. And uh, Seth MacFarlane with the Jack Daniels cup in his lap. And he suddenly began the Peter Griffin voice. And he said, come on, speak up, you fat ass. And I was like, can <laughs> someone say something like this <laughs> nowadays? Yeah. That's what uh, yeah. I like I
0: about it. I, yeah, I know that would be tough to say nowadays. That you'd say people would say, "Oh, it's fat shaming" or it's whatever. But again, Seth and Family Guy just—that's what their fans expect of of Seth and of people, you know, writers at Family Guy to come up with jokes like that. So I would imagine that it, whatever <clears throat> in that meeting, I'm sure the kid who he was insulting ended up laughing. You know?
1: Yeah, indeed, he was. And I've been listening to, I still can't figure out how Seth Green comes up with that Chris voice. And I was listening to the whole story. I mean, uh, and Seth McFarland. these are such hardworking people and you've been working with them in several projects. You know, how's it like working beside Seth?
0: Oh, it's great. It's great. Seth is, uh, I consider him a very good friend of mine now and he is I mean, he's incredibly funny. He's so talented. I mean, it's not just that he does the voices and, he, and they're great voices, which he does. And it's not just that he can draw everything, which he did, you know, when it started. He's an animator as well. And, but it's also that he's a great writer. I mean, he's not in the writer's room anymore because he does so many other things. But for the right. 10 seasons that he was in there, he was always by far the funniest writer in the room like not not just because he could do the voices but the the stuff that he was thinking of the jokes that he was making with those voices were inspirational i mean he, he's really a fun guy to work with and now i've worked with him on a, on a few projects and of course there are times just like with anyone that we just get sick of each other and he get <laughs> and, and he more than anyone gets sick of kind of everyone so which is a tough spot to be in when you're when you're directing a movie and you have like 300 people looking to you and you don't want to talk to any of them but i totally get it he's like he's so busy he cares so much about what he does um that i think you know it's it's understandable that every few years you get get a little fried but he's he's still chugging along, you know. He still talks about he wants to do the Family Guy movie, and you know, in a few years, and he's he's still very invested in Family Guy, which is nice.
1: Right. I even uh, read somewhere that Fox News, when he first pitched the idea of the series, they gave him fifty thousand dollars to create a sort of an episode, um, and and. I mean, he worked really hard for about six to eight months, somewhere around that. And when he right. presented it, they liked it straight away. I mean, was it something, do you know if he did all by himself or did he have help of animators?
0: He did it all by himself. He did wow. it, I, from what I understand, he just drew it on his kitchen table, you know, like on just night after night, just doing it. So, I mean, that's impressive. That's a lot of hard work.
1: True before proceeding on, I've heard that you have worked with him on several movies like The Both Parts and one of them, I just forgot the name, but I watched all their trailers, not the full movie. I do not have the Netflix subscription. Really. Uh-huh, my, right. It's my last year of high school. Literally, my <laughs> parents are outside the door with the kitchen knife in their hand waiting for me to <laughs> come out and complete my homework. That's wonderful still what qualities have you observed in him while working alongside him that makes him so good and so passionate about what he does like you shared he's a true inspiration for you all writers in the beginning because it might benefit someone starting out
0: yeah well i think that with him it's just a combination of different things i think that i think that his sense of humor is hilarious it's it's it can be mean in a very funny way, um, you know, which I love. Right, And also I, I just really like him as a person. And you, when you get to know him, his personality is like, it's like he's a real person, you know? He's not like some kind of phony or somebody who just made a lot of money and now doesn't give a shit. Like he's a real person, which means that like, he is, you know, he's very kind, he's incredibly smart, but it also means that he can be moody, and I find that hilarious. Like, when I see him, like, getting annoyed about something, nothing makes me laugh harder than that, you know? <laughs> like, it's kind of like when – it's like if you see your friend, like, you know, who is their pants get caught on a, a doorknob or – like, it's – or your if you see your friend trip on a banana peel, like, that's funny. Because, like, it, you know, it's just, you just – internalize that it's like oh thank god that wasn't me and i get to watch my friend wipe out
1: yeah right and i've been also seeing his interviews on various talk shows and the kind of vibe which he has he himself enjoys the whole moment and he himself says no for all the writing which you do about celebrities he himself has to bear in the watch shows Uh, and he even mentioned that um uh, someone asked him that. Do these celebrities come to you? And he said, "If they come to me with a fork knife, then it's a problem." And
0: yeah, I know that a, a few celebrities I, I know of have approached him and and told them that they were pissed about jokes that we made about them. Oh. I know that I know that Adrian Brody did. I think I heard that like Bradley Cooper um, was pissed about a long joke we made about him, um, yeah. and I think that sometimes now he gets, Seth gets flack from these celebrities or gets uh, accosted when he really has nothing anymore to do with the jokes. You know, he just goes in and records them and then he's got to be the face of the show out there. So if somebody's mad at the show, they're going to take it out on him.
1: Yeah, right. And I mean, he's been working so hard, involved in all the movies. And I even mentioned some, you mentioned somewhere that, you look forward to him someone as a leader because if he believes in something, he just makes it happen despite of all the criticism in the initial stages. And I'm curious to know what makes him such a good leader, such fearless person?
0: Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think that um, he, Seth is a great leader now and I think that that has developed over time. A, because when he started, he was very young. So I think it's, I mean, listen, people can be a leader at 15, but I think sometimes it's hard for a comedian and especially someone like Seth, who is a self-proclaimed nerd, to just step up and be like this great leader of men and women. But now he's completely that. And I think a lot of it now has to do with a confidence that he has because he's been right way more often than he's been wrong. You know he's right about the things that he thinks are funny and that's been proven by audiences or or box office or ratings or longevity of shows so i think now he's a more confident leader because he understands that his instincts are correct um, which i think is very important
1: right and i've been even watching his work and besides from all of that when writers are so much involved in this show. I mean, it's been running for decades. It has been canceled and reappeared. And has it ever happened that a particular writer has developed the personality of a certain character? Like you come in the writing room and go, oh, here's the quagmire of a group or something like that.
0: Well, yeah, I think I think from time to time, definitely there are certain people in our room that kinda kind of, kind of mentally with some of the different characters. So, I mean, Seth obviously was locked into many of the different characters, but in particular, Brian, because that's like his normal voice. Um, And also, I feel like Brian is kind of closest to who Seth is of all the characters. You know, he's a, a liberal, you know, left wing kind of environmental guy, but also can understand that he seems like kind of a pompous dickhead sometimes. So
1: I've been actually told by one of your writers I was in contact with Danny Smith. He told me that if he speaks anything against ourselves, do send us the video. We really want to see what he comes up with. And Uh another thing which is worth respecting is the editing aspect. I heard somewhere you mentioned that it literally takes a whole year to come out with an episode. And I've been watching some of the the behind-the-scenes and animators. It's crazy work. Do you think there's a certain limitation which the writers have because of the effort it might take on the editing side?
0: Well, yes. I think that, you know, sometimes, especially if we're well along in an episode, like, you know, it's one thing at the beginning of an episode, while we're just first writing it, I don't think we think to ourselves, oh, let's not make the animators do this, you know, big parade scene or whatever the hell kind of scene would require a lot of animation. But I think as we get further along in the episode, we rewrite it along the way. And I think as we rewrite it later and later, we think to ourselves like, well, it's too late in the process to do this big idea that we have. So yes, sometimes... I wouldn't even call it really a limitation. It's more of just like, you know, we understand the hard work that goes into the episode, the writers, because we don't have to do any of that. You know, we just sit around and make jokes. Um, But, uh, you know, I think we understand that we don't want to put the animators through hell.
1: Right. And being a 3D animator myself, I used to work on these videos. I stopped last year because the last project which I was working on, it was so intensive. There was like smoke coming out of my laptop from one side. And I totally get it can take a lot of effort on the animation side. Plus, it's worth respecting that how much effort they put into it. Because the animations are also so great and so intensive.
0: Yeah, they do a great job.
1: Yeah, you have so much experience in this field. And after reading your tweets, even the one you had to delete, (laughs) that was the best one, actually. (laughs) You have both been um, many talented artists. And I even uh, read you say somewhere that when I get in the writer's room, I let them know that I'm here to tell jokes. I'm not here to be quiet and stressing the importance of testing out your funny side using Twitter. What do you think makes a writer stand out from the crowd? Or what do you look for someone when you need to hire a new writer for the family guy? Because who knows, someone might want to take over your job someday, the same way <laughs> Trump right. took over Obama's.
0: <laughs> well, I think that's a good question. Um, I think what certainly what I look for in a script or in you know, somebody's Twitter feed or Instagram Whatever it wherever they're they're showing their comedy it's uh, you just want to see something that that's original and that feels like it honestly comes from that person like you know y- you can watch a lot of the great comedians and people can try and sort of imitate them or you can imitate a style of writing or as we get a lot of uh s- sample scripts at Family Guy where people will send family Guy scripts in. And you can just see that they're they're maybe they're fans of the show, and they they're they can kind of imitate it a little bit, but that's not what we're looking for like we have a writer now um one of the one of our uh female writers her name's Maggie mull. she's been there for about three or four seasons, and she's very funny, you know she's not the person who's going to jump into a room and just pitch 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 pitch, but when she tells her jokes or when she writes her scripts, there are always a few things in it where I think to myself, only Maggie could have written that joke. And, you know, we have a few writers like that. Patrick Megan, who's been there forever and is hilarious. Sometimes you'll be reading his scripts and you'll say, oh my God, this is just, it's just a perfect Patrick Megan style joke. I think if you can have your own style, then that's a really good sign for you
1: yes and even in main thing i even was reading this biography of kevin hart he said the moment i shifted from doing you know all these jokes topical jokes which involved a lot of you know efforts and sort of stuff to my personal experiences even though at first it was difficult for the audience it was not laughable but Gradually, it benefited me in multiple ways and it just uh, changed my whole career and took it to another level. It's really great that how much you stress on being authentic. I I also read somewhere, I was reading this book by Joey Toplin. He's the head writer of some talk show. And he shared some kind of techniques like the rule of three or using alliteration. Is this something which you people follow? Are there certain techniques which one can take away?
0: Well, yes, I think a rule of three is a big comedy thing. And I think at Family Guy, we we try to adhere to that. We have comedy bits in our show that we call triplets. You know, it would be like in the first act if Peter, you know, discovers that he, uh, you know, if Peter gets a horse which I think we did, we, in, in the first act, we would do a triplet of jokes of Peter on the horse. So three different little scenes with him doing it. And we always just know that three just feels like the right number for that kind of stuff. And so yes, comedy rule of threes, I think is a legitimate thing to think about if you're writing or, you know, again, though, have your own style. So don't, you know, you you can throw all rules out the window, but I think it's an important one just to be aware of um you know and we adhere to general rules of obviously you want to end every scene with a joke you know you don't want to just go from one scene to the next with just a bit of dramatic dialogue that doesn't work um so there are just certain pretty basic things that if you are you know a funny person or a person who likes comedy a lot you're kind of are there you know it inside already
1: yeah, and I was even uh, thinking that being for you as a writer, what is the main source of inspiration that inspires all your comedic side? Because I see amazing humor on your Instagram page.
0: Oh, boy. Well, I, I, I think, honestly, if I'm being very honest, a lot of what drives my comedy is vanity. You know, it's like I want, I want people to think that I'm funny. Like I'm not one of those people who's like, "Oh, I don't care. you know it's like i I very much want people to say like that guy's funny, this Instagram's funny, that tweet- twitter is is funny, that family guy episode is funny, and I think that you know Alec is funny or he, he you know his twitter's funny or Alec had a lot to do with that episode. That's a dream for a comedy writer. You want people to to know that you're funny, so it's like that's pride and vanity which i think are often dirty words but i feel like honestly that's what drives a lot of comedy writers Is like you want to show the world or as many people as you can that you are funny
1: that's right and i mean in high school that's the most important thing and no i really hate this because. I've always this side, but the thing is, I quickly move from self-deprecating humor to making fun of the classmates and stuff. And they they do not have a thick skin, so it doesn't go well with them. Still, yeah. (laughs) how can one write such humor, which is not too childish, like I was mentioning before, and at the same time, not too offensive at all? Because most of what I've seen in Family Guy doesn't go beyond the line.
0: Right. Well it's a it's a It is a fine line, and I think that you want being offensive is okay, and I think you can even be offensive to your classmates. You just have to make sure that it's funny enough. You know if if you're going to be offensive to your family, your classmates, your teachers, uh, whoever, it just has to be funny enough. That's all it is. And I think that the more you work on stuff like that, the more you do it the more you understand, okay, this is funny enough. That's not funny enough. And it just means you just have to be honest with yourself as you go. And if you honestly can't tell, you know, then you, you run it by someone. Sometimes for me, if I can't tell if something is too offensive or not, I'll just say, okay, I'm not going to do it. You know, because if you're, if your internal self is telling you like, I don't know about this one, then maybe that's enough to say, let's move on to the next.
1: Yeah, it's all about the self-instinct. And another thing which I had in mind was that the thing which I believe makes this kind of offensive comedy work is because it's animation after all. I even heard Bill Burr talking on a talk show that in animation, you can just show anything, like like a person getting his head chopped and they won't say anything. But the moment you turn it into a reel with all the people involved, you're going to just the whole American constitution would be like a joke for
0: you. Yes. Yeah, that's so true. We get away with so much because it's a cartoon and it's animated. And I think people, uh, whether they admit it or not, I think people still always look at animation as though it's something for children. Um, which, you know, of course, in a way it is. It's very engaging for children because they understand animation from a young age. It's colorful, it's wacky, it's silly. You can bend the rules of life. But I think when the animation is more for adults um, with something like The Simpsons or Bill Burr's show, F is for Family, which I think is very funny, then it's like, it's this great thing because people don't know how, you know, they don't, they don't get as offended because it's animation and they think, oh, it's just a cartoon, even though they just did some incredibly messed up shit. They're just like, okay, it's a cartoon, so I'm, I, I'm not that offended.
1: You have contributed so much to the entertainment industry with your amazing work. Is there anything still left that you want to achieve or any end goal you have in mind?
0: <laughs> well, I won't argue with you on that first part, although I could. Um, I, I think that um, I would like to you know, write a whole movie by myself. You know, I, I, I'm I'm working on a t- TV uh, pilot now, so I mean, I would love to do that when the world gets back to normal. You know, maybe do a, a real live action show again, and and uh, so yeah, there are things that I I would like to do, but I love my job. I you know I love what I do. I I would love to stay at Family Guy for as as long as there is a Family Guy. So we'll just we'll just have to see how that goes.
1: Sure, I totally believe that we can surely expect an amazing movie, you know, written by you. And what about acting? Do you want to make Danny Smith feel a bit bad?
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be great to become an actor just to shove it in Danny Smith's face. Um, no, I I don't think uh, you know. It's funny. I, um, I when I was younger, I often thought like I would like to be an actor, um, and I always thought it was incredibly easy. And now as a Gotten older and seen the people that do act in in whether it's TV or movies I know that it's so hard and it's it's like Me saying one day like oh, you know what? I'd love to play the piano and then just expecting that I could go sit there and play beautiful music It's it takes years of practice and I'm just I'm not that hard worker I'm not that, you know, people say they're dedicated to their craft like that's just not me I think the only way that I could be an actor is like in the Alfred Hitchcock sense of making a brief cameo and walking through the screen or something. Hopefully not as fat.
1: This would really make Danny Smith feel really good about himself. So (laughs) before (laughs) leaving, is there anything you would like to share with your fans? Like, What can we expect in the 19th season of Family Guy, which I rate would get aired on September 27th this year? or even a topic for future Instagram posts, because you are indeed getting used to those free light bulbs.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that's good. Um, yes, I, uh, it's tough to get used to those light bulbs. They're very bright. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that as far as this season on Family Guy, there's a, there are just so many great episodes coming up. I'm trying to think of anything in particular. We introduce a new mayor to Kohog. Um, you know, we've had mayor Adam West for a long time and then he passed away. Um, and he was irreplaceable. He's so funny, you know, but he passed away a few years ago and we haven't replaced him yet. So now this season we have a new mayor who's coming in and it's going to be played by, um, I don't know if you know the actor, Sam Elliott. He's like old, got a white hair and a mustache. Yeah. I'm heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. He was in, uh, He's been in a ton of movies. But he, anyway, he's got a fantastic voice. So we're very happy to be, have an episode introducing him. We've got a lot of, you know, it's just like if you're a fan of the show already, you're going to love this coming season. It's just a lot of lot of funny jokes. And uh, yeah.
1: Sure, I'll personally look forward to it, and I wish that India also telecasted Family la- Family Guy because you know, my parents, when my mother watches me, you know, watching those episodes on YouTube, she thinks I'm watching some sort of cartoon like I'm a four year old. Then I wish yeah. I could say her that once you listen to it, you totally change your mind.
0: Right. <laughs> and, right
1: we have so much respect for all of you for putting such amazing work. And I do highly recommend people to check out your Instagram and Twitter because you're making such great content and it's a true inspiration to talk to you and what you share. thank
0: Thank you very much for having me. I mean, you're, you're a great interviewer. I can't believe how young are you?
1: I'm in the last year of high school, 17 years young.
0: Well, my gosh, you seem much more mature than that. And you ask great questions. I think it's clear that you have the passion and the intellect and, and you, you already see things at age 17 that take people, you know, a whole lifetime to see. So I think that if comedy is something that you want to do and you want to pursue it, like you absolutely should. You, you, have, you have a gift for it, I can already tell.
1: Thank you very much. And I must also tell you, before ending this, that to develop those gifts, there were uh, many audiences whom I have given a hard time to. And it's really great and comforting to hear that. And thank you very much for being our guest. And all the links would be in the description. Do check out his Instagram. and He's producing really great content and this information you shared would be a true inspiration for young comics as well and it's my personal dream to become the world's greatest talk show host
0: well you're you're on your way you're on your way yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much and i always try i do get a bit more energetic and i always try not to become too ellen type which you have showcased in your show like interrupting the guests in between (laughs) (laughs) right Uh, Uh thank you very much for being a guest and hope you had a great time as well.
0: I had a great time. Thank you very much. And I'll be posting this link on my Instagram when you send it to me.
1: Sure. I will totally send it to you and hope you have a nice day. Thank you.
0: You too, sir. Good talking to you.
1: Bye-bye.